So last week we read out of uh, 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 21, and I wonder if that was ringing in anyone's ears this week or if it was something that bounced around during the week while you were at work or at play or maybe in quiet moments. I want to read it again. It's, it's not going to be up on the screen, but it says this. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, insert something else there, whatever it is that you're looking to, is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. Let's let that just resonate with you for a minute. Do you waffle between two opinions? Do you lean one way or another from moment to moment, depending on the activity of your day or your present attitude? How long are you going to waver? How long are we going to waver between two opinions? before we finally say there is one God the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God that created everything, the God of Elmwood Park the God of my heart the God of the mountains, the God of the sky the rain the bunnies the dogs, the cats the cubs, the white socks I know. <laughs> now that got a rise. How long will you waver between two opinions? <laughs> There's one Lord. One Lord over all. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we continue to look at Elijah's life and we continue to try to answer the question, what does it look like to follow you? What does it look like to be a God follower? And in, in we examine again today the power of one person who no longer wavers. Lord, I pray that you will impress into our hearts and into our minds that you want to do the same thing with us individually. You want to do the same thing with us corporately as a church in this town, in Elmwood Park, and in the places, some of us don't live in Elmwood Park, the places we live, Lord, you want us to be Elijah. You want us to confront that culture. You want us to be a, a beacon of light, one who stands up that's unwavering, one who chooses to follow you, Lord. <coughs> and in doing that, Lord, we, we shine a light on you and we point to you and we make you great and we call people to you. Lord, I pray that we can answer that question. I, I pray that as, as we continue through learning about Elijah and how he served you and the quality of his, his followership, that you'll impress into us how to be followers, how to be the very best followers we can be, that you'll impress upon us the importance of not wavering, Lord, in the words of the prophets that we read last, last week, that we choose you today to be the Lord of our life and the Lord of our household. That you might be made great. 
And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 26, continuing in 1 Kings 18 through verse 29, it says this. Uh, remember, we, we, we read the, the, the run-up to that. Uh, Elijah had said, here's what we're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And the people said, this is good. Let's do it. I'm going to back up actually one verse. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and they prepared it. They called upon the name of, the, of, of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he is a god. Trash talk. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. You know, some translations, uh, English Standard Version and a couple others say, perhaps he's relieving himself perhaps your god's in the bathroom and he can't make it right now that's one of the ways that verse can be translated maybe he's asleeping and he must be awakened one of the translations says maybe he overslept and if you get louder you'll be able to awaken him verse 28 says so they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed Midday passed, and they continued their frantic, their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Some things to note here. The prophets called, and there was no answer. I think we got that, right? It, he repeats it over and over again. No one answered. No response. No one paid attention. Why? Because there wasn't anybody there, right? You ever picked up the phone and then not dialed anything? You know, it's like, hey, yeah, yeah, okay, right? No, why? There's no one there. Same thing. They're, they're talking to air. They're calling out to a God that doesn't exist. The prophets received the same response from the little G God as Elijah received from the people. Isn't that interesting? Elijah asked the people, how long are you going to waver? Silence. The prophets called out to Baal. Oh, Baal, answer us. How long did they go all day? What response did they get? Silence. There was nothing. The people gave no answer, and their little G God gave no answer. Notice Elijah's taunting caused the already frantic prophets to redouble their efforts. This is, I, I was, I actually, this was interesting. I Googled something, humor in the Bible or something like that yesterday, because this is one of the funny places in the Bible, and there were about, about 10 of them that are pretty good. This is one of the best, in my opinion. Uh, a really good example of somebody trash-talking, right? It's like, is he asleep? Maybe if you shout louder, you'll wake him up, because he must have overslept, or, or maybe he's away traveling some of the versions today. Maybe he's on a journey, Maybe he's in the bathroom and he can't come right now because he's busy. I love that. And because of the, the, the taunting, 
of Elijah, they redouble their efforts. They shout louder. They shout longer. They even begin to cut themselves. They even begin to do things that are of their way of doing things in their religious activity. That was one of the things that they would do as they worshiped their little G God. They would cut themselves. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Having called on Baal from morning till evening, the 450 prophets finally gave up and fell silent. And then came Elijah's turn. Starting in verse 30, it says this. Elijah said to the people, come here to me. And they came. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which is which was in ruins, he took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord has come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jugs with water, pour it on the offering and upon the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At that time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. So he has some steps he goes through here. First, he repairs the altar. He takes 12 stones, one uh, each of the stones representing one each of the tribe of Israel. Now, remember at this time, it's interesting, um, the 12 tribes are split between two kingdoms. So they're not unified Don't let this pass you by because this is an important point. In building an altar out of 12 stones, he was pointing to unification and how important unification and unity is in the body. We're going to come back to that about us in a few minutes. That's important. He emphasized the unity. Ephesians 4, this is Paul speaking in, in verses 1 through 6. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In preparing for this cultural showdown, before calling on the name of the Lord, to come down and, and, and see if he was real, right? Remember the, the challenge. Build the altar, put the animal on it, call upon your God. Whichever God answered by fire, he was the God. The people said, that's good. So in preparing to do this, one of the first things he does in rebuilding the altar is point to unity and the necessity of unity among people for anything great to happen among the people of God. Don't forget that. We'll come back. He built an acceptable fire. He didn't light it, and he arranged the sacrifice appropriately. Those are important points. Having given, excuse me, (coughs) having given the Baals every advantage, he gave himself every disadvantage, didn't he? 
What did he do? He poured water on it. Anybody ever been camping? Yeah, you go camping. You either bring your own wood, you go out and you cut it down, you build a little, if, if you're smart, you build a, a campfire ring of stones. Sometimes you can even lay, you know, stones on the bottom because you don't want the fire to get out of the ring. You put wood, you put tinder. Some of us cheat, put a little gasoline. Don't do that. That's dangerous. That's bad. It's a bad idea. Lighter fluid, something, right? And you light the fire. And then when you want to put the fire out, then what do you do? Then you pour water on it. And you stir it, and you pour water on it, and you stir it, you make sure it's out, right? So Elijah appears to not understand how to build a fire here, right? Because instead of waiting until the fire's going and putting it out, he's putting it out before it started. You ever built a fire with wet wood? It's exceedingly difficult, depending on how long it's been wet and to what extent it soaked up water, possibly even impossible. Three times soaked the fire, so much so that the water that flowed off of the altar and off of the wood filled the trench. So it was a fire in a puddle that he built, basically a wet fire in a puddle. He addressed, listen, the Lord in a manner completely opposite, didn't he, of the way the prophets of Baal addressed their little g-god. They were frantic. They were frenetic. They were cutting themselves. They were bleeding. They were, they were doing stuff. They were begging, and they were, it must have seemed crazy to the people watching, especially when nothing happened, right? Can you imagine <laughs> The, the abject embarrassment when those 450 guys walked off, dripping blood, fire didn't get lit, hoping against hope that the prophet Elijah was not going to be able to somehow call on the Lord God of Israel and that he would answer and light that fire. Can you imagine that, that group of 450 just, <sighs> hope this doesn't happen. I hope he can't do it. They probably got a little grain of hope, a little, a little glimmer of, of possibility when he wet it. They probably thought, man, this guy's crazy. Doesn't he know wet things don't burn? He was reverent. He was quiet. He was reverential in his respect and in his mode of speech with the Lord, right? He he. he Talk to him uh, in a way that, that, that shows he respected the Lord. He called him the Lord. Your name shall be Israel. The Lord God Almighty. The Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He respected God. He spoke to him appropriately. He didn't cut himself. <laughs> he, he didn't redouble his efforts. He didn't go crazy. He prayed and asked the Lord to show himself in order to make God known. That's an important point we'll come back to in a moment. He says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known today you are God in Israel and that I, your servant, have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning your hearts back again. And then... The, the, the pinnacle of the story. 
the part that the music gets loud for at the movies, right? The crescendo, the bass. Look what it says, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, also licked up all the water in the trench. What kind of fire is that? I've built lots of campfires. I've never built one where after I put it out, the stones were gone. I don't know about you guys. That's an amazing fire. He called upon the Lord and the fire of God fell on it and burned everything. When the people saw this, it says they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They were, they must, can you imagine that amazing moment? You had the one amazing moment of the 450 wandering off, bloody, tired, worn out, defeated. Then Elijah takes every disadvantage possible, going second, one against 450, water, and the Lord still answers. How would you rate the quality of God's response? What do you guys think? What do you call that? Amazing. He's a, an overachiever, right? He, he wanted there to be no shadow of a doubt, right? Or the 450 could have come back and said, oh, somehow, maybe Elijah did something when no one was looking. <clears throat> I know they didn't have gasoline or lighter fluid, but maybe, you know, maybe Elijah had a little trick up his sleeve. He started the fire. It's like, hey, everybody look over there. It's like, lit the fire. But like us, I'm sure they had never ever seen a fire that burned up the stones and the wet wood and the soil (laughs) and the water underneath it. The quality of God's response was such that when people there saw it and looked at it, there could be no other answer. There could be no other solution. Nobody could say, well, maybe Elijah did that. No, because no one's ever seen a fire like that. There was no doubt in the people's mind that something special had happened here because the quality of God's response was was more expansive than anybody had ever seen. How often do you really expect the Lord to show up when you pray? That's kind of where this, this for me, kind of leads. What do you think it was like for Elijah to walk out on the, the stage, if you will, to light this fire, to build this fire, to sacrifice this animal, to have water poured on it, and then to pray before it and ask the Lord to come down and burn it? What do you think that would have been like? Anybody? A little nerve-wracking? As much as those 450 that walked away, hoping nothing would happen, Elijah must have had the, the complete opposite of that. It's like, oh God, I know you told me to do this. <laughs> but, 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 you ever been there? 
It's like you know you're supposed to pray for something. You know you're supposed to do something. You, you want to ask the Lord for something. You want to see something happen, something great, something that only God can do. <coughs> and when we ask for it, do we ask expecting that to really happen? Or do we have a little bit of doubt in the back? A little bit of, what do I do if this fails? Sometimes we're afraid to do things, things we know the Lord has said because the, the cost in the appearance of failure is something we feel like we can't handle. It's like, if I did that, if, I, if I'm hearing God right and I go and do the thing He says to do and it fails, I don't know if I could handle that. What would I do then? And so maybe we, we don't do it, or we let it go, or we, we pray, but not really expecting anything to happen. Have you ever prayed an impossible prayer asking that God would show himself to the culture? That's the kind of prayer that I'm going to want us to begin to pray as a church, as a people, as, as Elmwood Park, the, the church here, as we, we look out the door at the culture that we pray a prayer in order that people would know He is God, in order that people would have their hearts turned back to Him. That's the kind of prayer Elijah prayed. Lydia and I were talking this week, and she said, you know what? As a church, we don't pray enough for the community. She said, I, I put you on the spot, but she was right. Nailed it. We don't spend time as a body praying for the community. And not just in a sanitary, bless them kind of way. But in the kind of way that Elijah prayed. God, show yourself here in something amazing in such a way that it draws people to you. And not necessarily here in this building, here in this church, but here in this community. Do something amazing. Work in us, through us. If he chooses to use us, I I sure hope he does. Do something amazing, God. And we pray and we ask, you know what something amazing is? Something amazing is, is exactly what Elijah prayed for, right? That the people of God would have their hearts turned back to him. We need to pray that kind of prayer. We need to be about praying that. We need to be about living that. You know, the part of praying that kind of prayer is that we become the answer to the prayer. <laughs> God will use all the parts and all the pieces and stuff that we don't see, but we're going to be a part of, of that as we ask him to show himself that people's hearts would turn, be turned back to him. He will use us in part to do that. Why haven't we been praying that way? Anybody? Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> Why haven't we been praying that way more? We've been here three months. I don't remember praying like that on a Sunday yet. Why haven't we, why haven't we been doing that? That's a good question, Lydia. She's like, we need to do that. That's something we should be doing. The story of Elijah comes down to how he exercises his faith. He knew the little G gods were capable of nothing and that the big G God, the God he served, the God Almighty, was capable of anything. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Long chapter talks about faith, but I just want to read the first three verses. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, 
We understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. (laughs) Faith is trust in the invisible. Trust in that which is not seen. It cannot be touched and held and felt. That's the kind of impossible prayer that Elijah prayed. That something impossible would happen. That that God would show himself to the people in burning up the sacrifice so that the hearts of the people would be drawn back to him. I don't think he's going to do that now. We could go out and build a fire and call down the flames and have a showdown. And I, I don't think that's what he's, I don't feel compelled to do that. Do you feel like that's what the Lord's calling us to do? I don't feel like that's, maybe. We'd get arrested, maybe. But of course, the Lord said to do it, that'd be all right. But I think he's calling on us to start another kind of fire. Maybe a couple. Everybody's going to be like, are we going to be arsonists now? You know that church over there in Elmwood Park is talking about burning things. Maybe they'll start coming. They're going to burn things at that church. Let's go. I actually thought about burning stuff next Sunday. But, but Lydia said maybe building a fire in the building was not a good idea. So, so we'll see. We may, may come up with something else. But maybe the Lord's calling us to start a fire. Maybe he's starting a fire in us individually as believers. He's rekindling the fire, the, what, 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 what it talks about in, in the Bible as being the, that, that recapturing of your salvation. Do you remember that day when you met Christ as Lord and Savior and you gave your life to him and you felt like anything was possible? We return to that. And as a church, we begin to pray about building a a fire for God (laughs) of His glory and His action and His activity and His transforming power in the heart and the soul of people. You know, it talks about in Scripture that um, a candle on a hill, right? City on a hill, a light on a candle stand. Those kind of things cannot be hidden. You don't build a fire and then put something over it. You don't put a city on a hill and cover it up. You don't build a candle and then put a cover over it. It's interesting, it it uses that that metaphor of fire and flame and light a lot in Scripture. Maybe Maybe our fires dwindled. Maybe it's just coals. We've got to blow on it a little bit. We have to allow the Lord to rebuild that fire in us. The story comes down to the whys of asking God to do something big. There are false teachers and there are wicked pastors in this world today, right now, right now, this Sunday, telling people that if they believe hard enough, they'll get whatever they ask for from God. You should know the book of James by now. I'm sure you do. James talks about that. You remember? remember what he said about asking and not receiving? Because you ask for what? You ask with the wrong motives. So that you can do what with it? Spend it on yourself. If you don't get it, they teach, it's because you didn't believe hard enough. That's what people teach. This is nonsense. (laughs) 
It's nonsense. Elijah prayed and asked that God showed himself for the people, but he did it in order that God be made great. And I think that's the key to asking. The key to our prayer as a church, when we pray a prayer like I talked about a minute ago, we pray for the community that the people's hearts in the community of Elmwood Park would be turned back to him. Guess what? That's a prayer that God wants to honor. Because who gets made great if that happens? Elmwood Park? No. Us? No. You said it. God, God gets made great. It reflects on God. Because when God does something that only God can do, the, the result has to be that people look and say, well, God must have done that. Just like when the fire came down and it, it, it destroyed not only the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the water, the soil, it got everything. People had no choice but to say, well, God must have done that. It wasn't a trick that Elijah did because we've never seen that happen before. In the same way, when we pray, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that the people of Elmwood Park would know you are the Lord God Almighty and that their hearts would turn back to you. When that happens, the only, the only person who can be credited for that is the Lord God Almighty because he's the only one that could do it, not you and not me. When we ask God for something big or even something small, it had better be for his glory. It had better be for his purposes and for his will to make him great. Making you rich doesn't make God look good. He doesn't care about making you rich. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but he's not inclined to just give you stuff so that you can spend it on yourself. That's truth. And like I said, prophets, false teachers, wicked pastors all across the world teach opposite of that today. But making you rich, giving you a bigger house, a prettier girlfriend, or a better job does not make God look great. What makes God look great is changing the heart of a person. Bringing somebody who has wandered or maybe has never even known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior back to himself. Changing a broken person into a whole person and making them productive for the kingdom of God makes God look great. So we're going to pray in a second. And I hope from here forward we'll remember to pray for this community. And not all of you live in Elmwood Park, so pray for the community you live in. Pray for the neighborhood you live in, the school your children go to school at, the administrators there. Pray for people. <coughs> Excuse me. That was loud. Pray for people by name. And ask and call upon and rely upon and wait upon the Lord to do something amazing. The thing that Elijah prayed for, that the people would be turned back. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know you are Lord and that you are turning your hearts back to you. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking you to do in our own hearts what we cannot do ourselves. Lord, we're asking you to do something amazing in this church. We're asking you to do something amazing in this community. We're asking you to do something akin to what Elijah was asking, and it's going to take great faith, Lord, and it's going to take great unity. 
we have to agree together. Lord, we have to have unity in this body. And we have to have great faith. Lord, increase our faith. I love the scripture when it talks. It's like, have faith, but then ask for faith. Lord, increase our faith. Give us, Lord, the faith of Elijah that asks for great things and expects great things for your name. Lord, give us the unity that Paul talks and teaches about to bind us together as one. And in all of the great things that flow out of you, Lord, we reflect them back to you. They're not done to glorify us. They're not done to grow this church. They're not done to build the offering. They're not done to repair the building. Lord, none of those things matter. They're all bad motives. The only motive, Lord, for us to pray and ask for the community of Elmwood Park, for the hearts of the people to turn back to you, Lord, is for you. That's the only motive that makes any sense. That's the only motive that matters to you. So, Lord, we pray for that. And we ask that in whatever way you choose to use us in that process. Lord, you call us, you send us. Lord, we receive it gladly, and we're going we're gonna to walk out of here, and we're going to do it. And we're going to have faith. And we're not going to doubt, because we don't want to be doubtful people thrown on the waves of doubt. But Lord, we stand on you, on your solid rock, on your son Christ. And we ask for the impossible, the same thing like Elijah did, asking for something no one had ever seen before. So Lord, we ask today for the impossible for something no one's ever seen happen in Elmwood Park, that the hearts of the people will be turned back to you and that your name will be made great and that you will receive glory and honor and praise and that people that don't yet know you will know you, will come to faith in Christ, will follow you, will be baptized and will become disciples in, in the way that Christ says we should do. Make disciples, baptize them and teach them Lord, I pray that that happens. Those are things that you want. When we pray for the things that you already want, I think that makes you smile. I think when we conform our thoughts, our ways, our will, and our desires to yours, I think that makes you smile. Lord, I pray today that our interaction with your word and with our hearts makes you smile. And we pray, Lord, that you answer, that you start a fire in our hearts and in our church of bringing the gospel, the light of the gospel to the community in a way that the hearts of the people are turned back to you. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think we should close in a song today. You got a song?